Episode 42 of War in the Book of Mormon, Part 7.5, Missionaries as the Ideal Interstate Soldiers. This episode is a little odd in that I am not talking about war in the most obvious sense. I talk about narrative war in my day job, and what occurs in this episode's series of events is the most profound type of narrative war, and in this sense of war, this is the single greatest example of the power of narrative war as compared to what we might call kinetic war, or the war of shooting, striking, and killing. The war of disrupting and displacing ideas and ideologies is usually more effective and longer lasting, and that is what we will talk about in this episode. The previous episode discussed the dual dissension war and the struggles of Moroniha in losing the city and land of Zarahemla to Lamanite conquest. Moroniha's military efforts following the loss lasted over two years of campaigning and succeeded in regaining only half of the lands lost to the Lamanite armies. Two years of effort and still there was half of the lands, including Zarahemla, under the control of the Lamanites. It is important to note that Moroniha did not begin his counteroffensives until after he had preached and called the people to repentance, and they had then repented, as we are told in Helaman 4.16. Moroniha led his repentant army forth, but even after three separate campaigns, they had only regained half the lands. This episode deals with the events of the 62nd year of the reign of the judges, or about 30 BC. As is typical in this particular sequence of events, Mormon does not give a lot of detail. But this year must be one of the most eventful years in Nephite history. I want to inform you that all opinions and suppositions expressed in what follows are entirely mine and in no way reflect the positions, opinions, or policies of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The 62nd year of the reign of the judges began, or at least it seems to have, with a failed counter-offensive campaign led by Moroniha, who, after the failure of that campaign to regain Zarahemla or any further land, changed objectives to a strategic defense designed to retain those possessions under the control of the Nephite armies. This was a challenging decision. It is worth noting the comments made by Mormon concerning the fears of the Nephites regarding the current military situation as recorded in Helaman chapter 4, verse 20. Quote, And it came to pass, because of the greatness of the number of the Lamanites, the Nephites were in great fear, lest they should be overpowered and trodden down and slain and destroyed. Mormon wrote this as a prelude to comments in reference to the reflection of the people toward the prophecies of Alma and Mosiah about the importance of a righteous people living in the land. In the same year, Nephi IV gave up his position as the chief judge and governor of the land to a man named Sizoram, as we are told in Helaman 5.1. This was a fateful decision. Mormon states in Helaman 5.4 that Nephi IV was weary because of the iniquity of the people, which stands in direct contrast to the blessing given to this same man seven years later in the 69th year of the reign of the judges, when he was told that he had served the Lord with unwearyingness in Helaman 10, 
4 through 6. I want to quote this scripture as it is one of my favorites. Blessed art thou, Nephi, for those things which thou hast done. For I have beheld how thou hast with unwearyingness declared the word which I have given unto thee, unto this people. And thou hast not feared them, and hast not sought thine own life, but hast sought my will, and to keep my commandments. And now, because thou hast done this with such unwearyingness, behold, I will bless thee forever, and I will make thee mighty in word and in deed, in faith and in works, yea, even that all things shall be done unto thee according to thy word. For thou shalt not ask that which is contrary to my will. Behold, thou art Nephi, and I am God. Behold, I declare it unto thee in the presence of mine angels, that ye shall have power over this people, and shall smite the earth with famine, and with pestilence, and destruction according to the wickedness of this people. Close quote. This is one of the greatest promises one could receive from God. I hope all of us can hear this one day. This was a man unwearied in the service of God and his fellow man, but wearied by wickedness and foolish disbelief. It was unclear when in the 62nd year this resignation occurred, whether it was before, during, or after the failed military events previously mentioned. Regardless, the rest of the events directly related to Nephi 4 and his work are truly miraculous. Nephi did not travel alone, nor did he preach by himself. He traveled with his brother Lehi 3 at a minimum. We know that the events I am about to describe happened within the 62nd year of the reign of the judges, but we don't know if these events occurred across all 12 months of the year or only a few of those months. Regardless of the days taken to accomplish these events, they were physically demanding, even if Nephi 4 and Lehi 3 took all 365 days of the year. I cannot properly express how amazing the following sequence of events was in the physical world. Nephi 4 had to have visited dozens of communities and cities over a linear distance of certainly hundreds of miles and possibly thousands of miles. Nephi 4 started his missionary work among his own people, as we are told in Helaman 5.14. It is important to remember that his preaching came only after earlier preaching and prophesying and calling the people to repentance that is expressed in Helaman chapter 4, verse 14. It is unlikely that Nephi 4 began prophesying after his resignation. He had probably continually called his people to repent, as his life was an example of continuous and diligent dedicated religious service to the people. Nephi 4 and Lehi 3 and any others that might have accompanied them visited every Nephite-controlled city, and then they traveled to the Lamanite-controlled cities of the land of Zarahemla. The purpose for this effort was to, quote, repair unto them the wrongs which they had done, close quote, from Helaman 5.17. We previously discussed the importance of missionaries in episode 9 and episode 17, or parts 2.3 and 4.2 of this podcast series. As noted in those episodes, Nephite missionaries conducted their efforts because they realized the practical benefit of all believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was the only way to have lasting peace. 
Nephi 4 and Lehi 3 were very much in line with Alma 2 and his missionary companions to the Zoramites and Ammon and his brethren as they preached to the Lamanites in understanding the true and full benefit and value of conversion to the gospel of Jesus Christ for the whole of society. It is unclear whether or not Nephi 4 and Lehi 3 visited every Lamanite-controlled city in Zarahemla, but they did have success sufficient that 8,000 people entered the waters of baptism, as we are told in Helaman 5.19. Then they traveled south to the land of Nephi, where they continued to teach. In the previous episode, I mentioned that there was probably a group of Ammonites living in the formerly Nephite lands, then controlled by the Lamanites. These were people who owed their loyalty to the Nephites because the Nephites provided physical protection. But they may have remained in their homes and villages when the Lamanites occupied the cities south of Bountiful. If I am correct, then the Ammonites would have provided a great core of believers who would have echoed the testimonies of Nephi 4 and Lehi 3 and provided living examples of the power of the gospel in the lives of everyday people. During their travels in the land of Nephi, Nephi 4 and Lehi 3 were taken and cast into the same prison as Ammon was, as we are told in Helaman 5.21. This is a great moment of poetry in the story. As Ammon was held in that prison by King Lamoni before having one of the greatest missionary successes in the Book of Mormon. In the part of the story where we are in the book of Helaman, Nephi 4 and Lehi 3 enjoyed a miraculous manifestation of God's power as they were about to be slain in terms of fire from heaven as recorded in Helaman chapter 5 verses 22 and 23. The brothers used this miracle as an opportunity to calm the people and testify of God. The earth shook, and a voice from heaven confirmed the message of the brothers and called the people to repentance as a cloud of darkness, and their own fear held the people immobile. This miraculous experience caused those who witnessed it to be susceptible to the words of a former believer who added his testimony to the voice from heaven in instructing the people to repent. The true repentance of the people opened them to receive greater miracles in terms of all being encircled by fire and having an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and ministering of angels, as explained in Helaman 5, verse 43 through verse 48. 300 people witnessed these events, and this group became a nucleus of believers who went forth and carried the word of God to others within the land of Nephi. The true miracle came as a result of the convincing testimony of these great saints as recorded in Helaman chapter 5, verses 51 to 52. Quote, and as many as were convinced did lay down their weapons of war, and also their hatred and the tradition of their fathers. And it came to pass that they did yield up unto the Nephites the lands of their possession. Close quote. Let's think about this for a moment. What does it mean to lay down your hatred and the tradition of your fathers? What a profound and powerful statement about true conversion and true changing of one's narrative. They no longer hated those whom they have been taught to hate for generations. This is a way of changing 
and laying down the tradition of your fathers, to give up those things that you have believed in and your people had believed in for generations. Once again, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to transform hearts and lead to a desire for peace was witnessed. This was not a simple transformation, but a truly miraculous one, as identified by Mormon in Helaman 6, verses 1 through 5. Quote, And it came to pass that when the sixty and second year of the reign of the judges had ended, all these things had happened, and the Lamanites had become, the more part of them, a righteous people, insomuch that their righteousness did exceed that of the Nephites because of their firmness and their steadiness in the faith. For behold, there were many of the Nephites who had become hardened and impenitent and grossly wicked, insomuch that they did reject the word of God and all the preaching and prophesying which did come among them. Nevertheless, the people of the church did have great joy because of the conversion of the Lamanites, yea, because of the church of God which had been established among them, and they did fellowship one with another, and did rejoice one with another, and did have great joy. And it came to pass that many of the Lamanites did come down into the land of Zarahemla, and did declare unto the people of the Nephites the manner of their conversion, and did exhort them to faith and repentance. Yea, and many did preach with exceedingly great power and authority unto the bringing down many of them into the depths of humility, to be the humble followers of God and the Lamb. Close quote. The Lamanites who repented gave back all of the lands conquered. This Lamanite nation, as a nation, was not to attack the Nephites in armed conflict again in the period before the coming of Christ. What began as the greatest military defeat in the history of the Nephite nation to this point in the Book of Mormon was turned into the greatest military success, not through fortifications, grand maneuver, armor, shields, weapons, formations, tactics, or any military aspect whatsoever. But instead, it was a result of changing the hearts of the Lamanites through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This changing of hearts did not happen over years or through the movement of thousands, but through the disciplined and committed and unwearying service of two brothers. They did in less than a single year something that no Nephite commander had ever been able to do. They had done what Moronihah could not do in more than two years and three counteroffensive campaigns. They returned all Nephite lands back to the Nephites. Though it is easy to read this, and while looking back, see it as the miraculous set of events that it was, however, it is important to understand that the success represented in this story was not a foregone conclusion. Nephi 4 and Lehi 3 were successful because they worked hard and they were close to the Lord. They suffered through the physical challenges of long travel by foot, apprehension, imprisonment, and death threats. Despite this, they persevered and achieved the great success. Even after the conversion of the Lamanites, there had to be disagreements and disbelief on the part of Nephite military and civilian government leaders. Imagine the conversations as letters from the Lamanite leaders reached the Nephite leaders, telling them 
that all Lamanite armies were to be withdrawn and the lands returned. Think about the challenges and disbelief. In the documentary film project about the Arab-Israeli wars titled The Fifty Years' War, there is a story about when Anwar Sadat visited Israel to speak at the Knesset. As his plane landed in Tel Aviv, there was a slight delay in getting the aircraft door open so that he could walk down the steps. An Israeli general turned to the prime minister and warned that maybe Sadat was not on the aircraft and that the aircraft was holding Egyptian commandos who would then burst forth and kill the assembled Israeli government and military leadership. Such a dire warning was wrong. No such commando unit was waiting inside the aircraft, and Sadat went on to give an address at the Knesset that was widely acclaimed as one of the most courageous acts in geopolitical history. The Lamanites and Nephites had been fighting for hundreds of years at this point. Two Nephite kingdoms-ish were destroyed. Tens of thousands of people were killed, and dozens of cities had been attacked and probably destroyed over those centuries. There had to be significant distrust, much as there was on that Tel Aviv runway in 1977. As I studied this portion of the Book of Mormon, I sense a potential element of poetic storytelling by Mormon. I am not suggesting that these events did not happen as he relates them, but it is important to understand that history in the ancient world was a literary genre and not simply a chronicle or even an objective relation of facts. As I have previously stated, Mormon was an applied historian as he sought to relate the important nature of this sequence of events, his relation of facts in terms of what details he provided and what he didn't provide is the poetry to which I refer. Mormon provides emphasis on defeat and failure to regain land through the military, led by a righteous captain, but with generally wicked soldiers. He then expresses some success only after the soldiers repented, but the society as a whole had not repented, and they did not repent. A righteous secular leader left his post, and through his service, the Lord changed the hearts of the enemy, such that in their righteousness, they returned all lands and became the religious teachers and missionaries to their former opponents. There is so much in this short but still epic poetry worthy of note and emulation. Think of the courage and humility of the Lamanites who returned the lands and braved their enemies to teach them of their testimonies. Think about the challenges of the Nephites. How would we receive the teaching of a former heathen and enemy? Would we welcome their preaching any better than did the Nephites of that day? This is a great lesson involving the power of conversion through entering covenants and becoming one with the will of Christ. It is also a powerful lesson about accepting the conversion of others, even the conversion of your enemies, and then being willing to learn from and be humbled by them. Mormon sends a powerful message in this story, as he did earlier with the stories about Ammon and his brethren, missionaries are the ideal interstate soldiers in the fight against Satan. Remember that Satan is the opponent that Mormon is providing all of this information for us to be better at fighting. Two missionaries accomplished more in the conversion of an entire enemy nation in less time, less than a year, than did all of the Nephite armies led by a righteous warrior prophet 
in more than two years. Mormon's metaphor is so powerful here. Nephi 4 and Lehi 3 were spiritually and physically prepared. They were obedient to their covenants, and they therefore reunited the land. They achieved a peace unlike any other in the pre-Christ era because they achieved a unity of purpose and conversion unlike any other in the pre-Christ era. In the next episode, we will jump forward from this period of peace and stability at about the end of the 62nd year of the reign of the Judges, or 30 BC, to the single greatest example of the strength of physical unity in the Book of Mormon that took place in the Battle of the Consolidated Settlement beginning around the 112th year of the reign of the Judges, or 21 AD. We are jumping over the rising Nephite wickedness, and we will refer back to a series of infestations and wars as part of the growing influence of the Gadianton robbers in the land. I invite you to refer back to episode 39, or part 7.2, and the broad discussion on the Gadianton robbers as a refresher. I invite you to reach out and ask questions and send comments to me on Facebook at War in the Book of Mormon or at War in the Book of Mormon at gmail.com. All one word, War in the Book of Mormon at gmail.com. Until next time.